you're here. Today's episode is honestly not going to be probably the most lighthearted episode if you're in the mood for something really lighthearted because it's all about fear. And I wanted to talk a lot about addressing fears and addressing things that scare us like irrational fears and also just normal fears to have as well as what makes us anxious and actually overcoming fears. I was reflecting on my life in the past few years or so and how there are a lot of things that I used to be scared of that I no longer am and it just made me think how good it feels when you actually face your fears and get past them and I was looking at my old episodes and I really haven't talked about this in depth and so I thought it would be just a nice episode to do in depth. I'm going to be getting pretty vulnerable too and just sharing things that I personally have always been afraid of. There are a few things that I've overcome but Of course, fear is something that is actually a really good instinct. It protects us, but it also does keep us from doing a lot of things that could be good for us. And so I have a lot of fears that I still have not overcome. And so for the outline of this, I'm going to be talking about my fears. I also actually asked you guys on Instagram if you guys could share some of the things that you fear in your life, whether they're irrational, whether they are normal fears, big or small. And then I also asked for submissions if you guys needed any advice on fear-related topics. And then I'm going to go into kind of steps, practical ways of actually facing your fears. I used to be someone who was so timid and shy and just afraid of things. I would say in high school, throughout college, moving to New York, I think that really helped me a lot kind of become a stronger person. And so I felt like this was a good episode to do, but I do just want to say from the start, I am not someone who discounts mental health and all of this. I think that there's a point that you might actually have something where you need to seek help, whether that be a doctor, medication, whether that be therapy. I totally, totally believe that mental health is a very real thing. And I also think as a Christian, I think that there's a point where God gives us science to actually help with a lot of these things. And I'm not the kind of person who just thinks you should like pray your way out of these struggles. That's not to discount the power of prayer, power of reading the word, all of that. I'm someone who is definitely very aware of the very realness of mental health and mental health struggles. So this isn't to discount any of that. I just wanted to say that from the beginning. I don't want this episode to come off as me just saying you can overcome all your fears, but I do think there are a lot of things that we can work at to overcome. I'm not perfect, like always. Again, very vulnerable episode. But yeah, that's the summary of today's episode. I do have a lot of kind of faith-based approaches to this, so just wanted to put that in the beginning. I can't really separate, again, my faith from this topic, so that is something that's going to be included. But I also think it's very practical if you are not a person of faith and you're just looking for, like, tips to face your fears. For the life update for this week, I have a few things. One, I found this very chill Christian worship playlist. I actually found this artist from my friend Tori Masters on Instagram. She had shared just like a story with his music in the background and I went and found his music and then I just searched chill Christian worship playlist and I found the best worship music that is so chill. I talked about in a recent episode how I'm just not a big fan of a lot of worship music. One, because I just don't know how doctrinely sound a lot of it is and I'm not saying that this playlist all the songs are I really don't know but it is such a chill vibe it's great if you're working when I take cash for his morning walk I always listen to this playlist and it just puts me in a really good mindset I opened up in a recent YouTube video about just feeling really off and I spent a lot of that week listening to this playlist and 
it's so good. The music's so good and the words are really good, the lyrics. So I'll have that in the show notes. I also have really been into reading. So my friend Brooke Michiani too has been sharing all of these book recommendations lately and I've basically been reading a ton of them. And I realized that I love reading mystery and thriller books. I used to be someone who would try to make myself read books that I just wasn't that interested in. And I do think there's a point where you should read things that are educational and it's not always going to be like a page turner, but I never want to hate reading. And so I started to actually just read books that were entertaining that I like. And I'm obsessed. I've been reading books in two days. I have been going to Barnes and Noble a lot, picking up new books. I think I should get a Kindle at this point or get a library card because I don't think I need to be spending all this money on books. But I've just finished The Silent Patient, which was so good. I don't know how I didn't expect the ending on that one. You know, when you finish a book and it's a mystery and you're like, oh my gosh, how did I not see that coming the whole time? Right. The Last Mrs. Parrish. I read The Girl on the Train a while ago and then also The Woman in the Window. And so it's just been really fun. It's been really getting me off my phone, which I think is really good. Another thing I've been doing is my five-minute journal. I think I talked about this last week's episode or in last week's episode has been so good for me. Oh, you know what? I actually realized I forgot to do it this morning though. I'm someone who's really bad at journaling. I read my Bible and I pray, but I'm not someone who really writes down my thoughts and I love this journal because it has three things that you're grateful for, three things that can make today a really good day, and then at the end it has two affirmations, so kind of saying things that you believe about yourself, and me as a Christian, it's things that I know God believes me to be and finding my identity in Him, and it's really good to start the day off, and it also has nighttime entries, but to be honest, guys, I always fall asleep at night, and I don't do the ending ones. Some days I will do them the next day in the morning, but it's been so good. And I wanted to share it because if you're someone who is not great at journaling like myself, I think it is really good. So have that in the show notes as well. I also took a break from working out and I've been back at it this week and oh my goodness, I cannot explain how good it feels to be back working out. When I was taking my break, I was like, this is so nice sleeping in. But then I also felt like my mind was just all over the place that week. And I was afraid that I wouldn't want to get back into working out because it's so hard to get back into it when you stop. But oh my gosh, if you're looking for a sign to get back to running, yoga, stretching, HIIT workouts, spinning, whatever you prefer, get back in it because it really does feel so good. I'm someone who purely works out for my mental health and also to be physically stronger. I have really just been noticing how much stronger I am in my workouts, except after not working out for a week I definitely feel a little bit weaker but oh my goodness I have been loving my workouts next week I'm gonna go with my neighbor again to f45 which is one of my favorite workout classes I started doing it a couple or a month ago so good I love it so I just wanted to put that in there that if you're searching for a sign to get back into working out and fitness for the right reasons this is your sign because it really does help a lot off I've talked about my personality type a lot but I think when you're kind of searching for your approach to fear it's really healthy to know your personality type the kind of person you are I just took the Myers-Briggs test again and I think I used to be an INTJ but I'm actually an ISTJ and I'll read more about my personality type my weaknesses and I just want to say I think there are a lot of mixed opinions about personality types I think a lot of people are obsessed with knowing so much about their personality or it really becomes 
like literally an obsession and a lot of times you kind of just discount your weaknesses because you're like oh that's just my personality I'm just like that and ultimately my identity is not my Byers-Briggs type that is not what makes me the person I am it's you know who I am in Christ but I do think personality types can be helpful when you're just trying to figure out more about yourself or even in a relationship figuring out about the other person. Aiden literally never takes these tests so I always tell him to because I wanted to accept the love language test. He took that one because I think that one's so helpful but it's just nice to understand who someone is and so I'm going to share mine. Like I said I'm an ISTJ and this is from the website. It says this personality type is thought to be the most abundant making up around 13% of the population. So, aka, I'm not special at all. <laughs> I actually didn't read that. I'm just reading it and I'm like, cool. Okay, it says they're defining characteristics of integrity, practical logic, and tireless dedication to duty make them a vital core to many families as well as organizations that uphold tradition, rules, and standards, such as law offices, regulatory bodies, and military, which again, is definitely not me, but that's okay. People with this personality type enjoy taking responsibility for their actions and they take pride in the work that they do. When working towards a goal, they usually hold back none of their time and energy completing each relevant task with accuracy and patience. Aiden's getting ice in the kitchen, so you can probably hear him. And it says the weakness is that they're stubborn. The facts are the fact, and they tend to resist any new idea that isn't supported by them. This factual decision-making process also makes it difficult for people with this personality type to accept that they were wrong about something, but anyone can miss a detail even them. And I think knowing this... I am someone who likes the same old, same old. I like sticking to a routine. I like my comfort zone because I kind of stick to those same patterns, those same rules. And when things are really spontaneous and I'm caught off guard, I really fear that. And that comes with a lot of fear of change, fear of new opportunities, fear of just putting myself out there. And that kind of leads to a lot of the fears that I have. So these first couple of ones that I have, these first ones are actually ones that I've gotten over. And I'm going to talk about how I got over them later on in the episode. But the first one is public speaking. When I went to college, I was so terrified of public speaking. And I went to a really small liberal arts college. And so when I say small, I mean literally like a thousand students. It was so small. And with that being said, a lot of my classes were incredibly participation-based. So you would get called on by the professor, you'd have to debate, you'd have to speak in front of people. I was terrified of this. For some reason, I haven't really been that scared of giving speeches that I've prepared for. But when I'm put on the spot, like I said, a surprise, something that's spontaneous, it really does scare me. And I remember I was in this class And this actually kind of upsets me, but I am an adult and I have thick skin, so it's really not that big of a deal. But I was in this class and I remember the professor, we had to do this exercise where we had to debate other teams. And I remember he said, I'm going to pick on the three people in the class who I feel like are the quietest because he literally said, I can smell weakness. (laughs) I was like, oh gosh. I knew I didn't really speak up in this class. I have always been someone who got really good grades. I studied and I can say like I'm a relatively smart person. I really tried hard at school, but I was not someone who liked being called on and like speaking up in class. Just wasn't my natural instinct. And of course, I got picked. So he thought I was a weak one. 
And it wasn't, I don't really know if it was in a joking way, but I remember I had to go up and debate these other teams. And I don't think I did very well. It wasn't really something that I was used to. I just really was scared of this. It was something that always terrified me. I, when I asked for submissions from you guys about your guys' fears, so many people said public speaking. I think public speaking is something that is just not really everyone's forte. But it's one of those things that I think is so easy to overcome by doing it over and over again. And to this day, while I think I'm not as scared of it, I do prefer having one-on-one conversations or actually giving a speech. But I'm not someone who likes being in a big group of friends and having a lot of dialogue. And I think part of that also comes from I'm not someone who likes when people talk over one another like loud sounds and just a lot going on makes me feel really chaotic and I don't like it. So I think it comes from that. Another one used to be going out in public alone. And I think this is a really natural thing, especially if you're a woman. It's just kind of a reality where it is a little bit scary. And I remember specifically when I was in New York City, this is like the craziest story. I really didn't have a lot of crazy horror stories from stuff that happened in New York in terms of this. But one time I remember I was sleeping over at my brother and my sister-in-law's apartment in Harlem because that's where they lived. And I was taking an Uber back to where I lived in Brooklyn Heights. So this is about I would say a 30-minute drive to get over there, depending on the traffic. And I remember I called this Uber. I told the story in a YouTube video if you've been around for a while. But I called this Uber, and when I got in the car, he said, hey, would it be okay if I turned off, like, the Uber tracker because they charge me when I use this? So I'll still take you there. I'll still charge you the amount, but I'm just not going to do it through Uber. Which, obviously, that's sketchy because you get tracked through Uber, so you really should keep it on there. And I didn't want to be in a car with a stranger And I don't know why I did not say, no, that's not okay. Like, it's literally like when you're watching a horror movie and you're like, why did they think it was safe to go in that room where you know there's an evil person or something? Like, looking back, I do not know why I didn't get out of the car, but I was like, yeah, it's fine. In my head, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm literally about to die. This Uber driver is talking to me the whole time and I ended up getting charged because it said that I canceled the drive when obviously it was him, but I just didn't care at this point. He was telling me this crazy story how he always drives with a knife with him because he had this one customer who didn't want to pay him when they got off from the ride and he chased them into their house and he threw a brick through their window. Absolutely crazy story. I don't remember the exact details, but I just remember being like, oh my goodness, I just want to get to my apartment and I did get to my apartment. He dropped me off. Everything was fine. But looking back, just kind of going about by myself, especially in the city. Another thing, this isn't really a fear fear, but I get so much secondhand embarrassment when I think about embarrassing moments from my past. I can't even explain to you guys when I think about things that literally make me just feel like I want to throw up when I think about old moments. I've talked about the story before, but This is the only thing that I think of when I think of this, and that's when I was in college, I had this marketing class, and we had to do, it was like a social media class, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone, I'm going to use this video as a project, but I'm also going to do it because it was a sponsored video that I needed to put up. And because I'm a YouTuber, my professor was like, oh, this will be a great example to put it on the screen, played my 
Princess Polly try on haul in front of the entire class, which is like my worst fear, having my video played in front of the entire class. And I think back on that. I don't even like watching my own videos when my family watches them. It's just not my thing. Always terrifies me. Another one of my fears is just being rejected. I think this is a one that a lot of people face too feeling like a failure if I create content on YouTube or Instagram and it doesn't perform well, not feeling accepted. I am someone who I think I'm okay with not having like a ton of friends or anything, but I like to succeed at things. And I remember also in college, I feel like all these stories are going back to college, but I remember someone told me that they heard these girls in their apartment who went to my college watching my videos and making fun of them in their apartment which that kind of thing honestly doesn't bother me now at all. I don't care because I was watching um, Danny Austin's story. I love Danny Austin. I think she's really just cute and vulnerable and sweet. And I really like her Instagram. She was talking about how she had a similar experience in college where the sorority would all watch her videos and make fun of them. And she's talking about like now a lot of them are trying to start blogs. So I just think people come around and I don't think that And I like to think that people just do that because they're trying to fit in. And so I don't really care. I have people like tweeting, making fun of my videos. And so I've just grown thicker skin, but it still does hurt when you feel like you are rejected from the norm. Another thing, and this is a more serious one, this is probably my most serious one, is just my family members dying. I have a heightened fear of this after my mom's accident. When I was in eighth grade, I've talked about this before, but my mom got hit by a car jogging. And ever since then, just the fear specifically and especially of my parents, it's like my worst fear or Aiden when he will go run an errand. I always have this thing in the back of my mind. What happens if he gets in a car wreck and I'm alone and your mind just goes to these crazy places where you just don't think of it going. And yeah, it's something where I just feel very protective of my family and I can't even imagine not having them. I haven't lost a lot of people in my life. My grandma, who was my dad's mom, passed away, I think about seven years ago. I believe I was in middle school or high school, like early high school. And she's the only person that I've really lost who is close to me. And yeah, I fear people dying. But I wanted to read some of your guys' Instagram submissions, and I have a lot that I wrote out because I think a lot of these are relatable, and I just wanted to share them if you think about these things, but you want to know that other people are with you. So the first one is just not saving enough money. Someone said being 27 and not having a passion or a dream job yet. I love that one because I think there's so much emphasis on having your dream job when it's okay if you don't dream about a job. (laughs) I saw this reel the other day. It was so funny. It said, what's your dream job? And the girl said, I don't really dream of labor. And I was like, okay, that's kind of funny. Someone said childbirth, which is very accurate. I think about that too not living up to my parents or my family's standards, losing my parents, which was a very common one. A lot of people said that. Moving out and starting new in a new city, anything health-related, going to the doctor. Throwing up was a big one. Vomiting, which I think I used to be scared of too. Now it doesn't really bother me as much. Someone said social anxiety, a lot of social anxiety. Confronting people, thinking I have a new disease every day. Yeah, that's me when I hit up WebMD and I just convince myself that I'm in the worst possible situation. Big crowds. That's one of mine too. Fear of my husband not being who I've expected him to be when we move in together. Death, especially as a Christian, makes me feel guilty. That one was honestly one of the most common ones was just fearing death and then especially as a Christian. 
failing, always quitting things early because I fear failing, getting pregnant before my husband and I are ready, asking for help from an employee in a store. Yeah, sometimes that can be really intimidating. Working as an engineer surrounded by men 15 plus years older than me, dating, talking to guys. A nurse said being an RN and being responsible for four to six patients each night. That one, I can't imagine. We have a friend who's a nurse and I always ask her like, how do you separate the emotions with that? Because it just seems like so much pressure, but it takes a really special person to be a nurse. Watching my parents grow old, Sunday scaries before the work week, not alcohol related, drinking coffee alone in a coffee shop, moving back home and regretting my life plan, messing something up at work, another really common one. This one was me. It says, going somewhere new and I don't know the parking situation. I so relate to that. I hate, especially in Dallas, when it's somewhere that doesn't have an actual parking lot. Street parking stresses me out. Scared I'm incapable of being loved by a man. Making appointments slash phone calls. Afraid I won't know something. My boyfriend breaking my heart. Not living up to my calling from the Lord. Losing a family member. Uh, Someone said they lost a family member and now they fear losing other family members. Overthinking my actions and fearing what others think of me. Not knowing what to expect from the day, causing morning anxiety, not having a plan for my day, and being away from my family. Those weren't even all of them. There were so many. I had so many submissions, but those were some of the most common ones. So fear is very real, and it hits us in small ways, and it also hits us in big ways. I mean, some of those are kind of funny, and some of them are really serious. It's why I think it's so important to confront your fears and know how to face them in a healthy way and not fear those small things as much. I think the first thing is just knowing your identity and knowing who you are. This can be different for everyone as a Christian. I think it's really important to know who God made you to be, his purpose for you, and his plans for you. And I used my favorite resource for this, gotquestions.org. I love gotquestions.org. It is so good if you're looking for faith-based answers to questions that you wrestle with. And I really liked this one. It's about the story of Jacob and Jacob wrestling with God. And I want to read this because I think it's really helpful for dealing with fear. But he says, To know Jacob's story is to know his life was one of never-ending struggles. Though God promised Jacob that through him would come not only a great nation, but a whole company of nations, he was a man full of fear and anxiety. At a pivotal point in his life, Jacob was about to meet his brother Esau, who had vowed to kill him. All Jacob's struggles and fears were about to be realized. Sick of his father-in-law's treatment, Jacob had fled, only to encounter his embittered brother Esau. Anxious for his very life, Jacob sent a caravan of gifts along with his woman and children across the river in hopes of pacifying his brother. Now physically exhausted, alone in the desert wilderness, facing sure death, he was divested of all his worldly possessions. In fact, he was powerless to control his fate. He collapsed into a deep sleep on the banks of the river with his father-in-law behind him and Esau before him. He was too spent to struggle any longer. But only then did his real struggle begin. Fleeing his family history had been bad enough. Wrestling with God himself was a different matter altogether. That night, an angelic stranger visited Jacob. They wrestled through the night until daybreak, at which point the stranger crippled Jacob with a blow to his hip that disabled him with a limp for the rest of his life. It was then that Jacob realized what had happened. I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. Genesis 32-30 In the process, Jacob the deceiver received a new name, Israel, which likely means he struggles with God. 
However, what is most important occurred at the conclusion of that struggle. We read that God blessed him there, Genesis 32:29. It says, in Western culture and even in our churches, we celebrate wealth, power, strength, confidence, prestige, and victory. We despise and fear weakness, failure, and doubt. Though we know that a measure of vulnerability, fear, discouragement, and depression come with normal lives, we tend to view these as signs of failure, even a lack of faith. However, we also know that in real life, naive optimism and the glowing accolades of glamour and success are a recipe for discontent and despair. Sooner or later, the cold, hard realism of life catches up with most of us. The story of Jacob pulls us back to reality. In the end, Jacob does what we all must do. He confronts his failure, his weaknesses, his sins, all the things that are hurting him, and faces God. Jacob wrestled with God all night. It was an exhausting struggle that left him crippled. It was only after he came to grips with God and ceased his struggling, realizing that he could not go on without him, that he received God's blessing. What we learn from this incident is that our lives are never meant to be easy. This is especially true when we take it upon ourselves to wrestle with God and his will for our lives. We also learn that as Christians, despite our trials and the tribulations, our strivings in this life are never devoid of God's presence and his blessing inevitably follows the struggle, which can sometimes be messy and chaotic. Real growth experiences always involve struggle and pain. I love that. I read that and I just think that's such a good representation of where our trust and our rest lies and the fact that God doesn't leave us even when things seem to be really hard and we have a lot of fear and we have so much anxiety and also to take comfort in the fact that there's no promise that this life is going to be easy and that it's not going to come with trial like that is so normal and there was another question about fear on got questions and it says the fear that the bible tells us to avoid is concern mixed with anxiety or dread it is the feeling of alarm we have when we expect trouble or danger followers of christ are not to live in a state of anxiety we have higher expectations and simply anticipating trouble in fact, we have the means to rise above fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And on the aspect of identity, it says, We are no longer citizens of the world, but apart from it. We understand that we are a part of heavenly, God-ruled kingdom. Things of the earth no longer draw us. We don't fear or overemphasize suffering on earth or the trials we face, nor do we place importance on the things that the world values. Even our bodies and our actions reflect that our minds are no longer conformed to the world, but are new instruments of righteousness to God. And our new kingdom perspective means we understand that our enemy is not the people around us, but the spiritual forces that endeavor to keep people from knowing God. And for me, I talked a lot about dealing with insomnia when I was in college. And I think that a lot of this was tied to the fact that I was just in a very anxious state of mind, a very fearful state of mind. And there was a point when I would go every single morning to the library and I would read the same passage in Luke that talks about do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, not about your body, what you will put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. And I would recite that scripture to myself every single morning. And I think there's so much power that comes from just reminding yourself. And this kind of goes along with the affirmations, who your identity is in and knowing where you're placing your trust every single day. Like it takes reminding yourself all the time. And you can't just rely on the fact that, yeah, I kind of know who I am because you're going to get swept up by the world. The world's going to tell you who you are. It's going to tell you who to fear. And you just have to be above that. I read this book called Gentle and Lowly. It's a really great book. It talks about Christ and his heart and his heart specifically for sinners and sufferers. I'll have this book in the show notes. I think it's a really great read. But I just want to read a few quotes from this too. 
He says there's an entire psychological substructure that due to the fall is a near constant manufacturing of relational leveraging, fear stuffing, nervousness, scorekeeping, neurotic controlling, anxiety festering, silliness that is not something we say or even think so much as something we exhale. You can smell it on people, though some of us are good at hiding it, and if you trace this fountain of scurrying haste in all of its various manifestations down to the root, you don't find childhood difficulties or a Myers-Briggs diagnosis or Freudian impulses you find gospel deficit. You find lack of felt awareness of Christ's heart. He also says, God is rich in mercy. It means that your regions of deepest shame and regret are not hotels through which divine mercy passes, but homes in which divine mercy abides. It means the things about you that make you cringe the most, aka my embarrassing moments, they make him hug you the hardest. It means his mercy is not calculating and cautious like ours. It is unrestrained, flood-like, sweeping, It means our haunting shame is not a problem for him, but the very thing he loves most to work with. It means our sins do not cause his love to take a hit. Our sins cause his love to surge forward all the more. It means on that day when we stand before him quietly and hurriedly, we will weep with relief, shocked at how impoverished a view of his mercy, rich heart we had. Yeah, it's the fact that we can run to God and we know that we can take comfort in him. I think for me, when I started viewing God literally as a father figure, it really helped me kind of grasp that I can pray and look to him when I'm dealing with things that I fear. I also touched on this in the beginning, but I do believe God made science and he made medicine and he made certain forms of therapy. And I think that those can be so helpful to do if you are someone who literally feels crippled by your fear and anxiety. Because I know people who just physically feel like they cannot take on the world because of their fear and anxiety. And I think that's something that you can definitely work on with the help of other things in life too. And secondly, is just to do the things that scare you. So I have a non-faith-based resource for this. It's actually from a website called Brain Facts. But it says, most people without anxiety disorders cope with periodic feelings of fear and panic just fine. However, people who cope with anxiety or panic by avoiding what they fear altogether have a much greater risk of developing an anxiety disorder. Avoiding the object of fear actually increases fear of the object. That can be a problem when the fear stops someone from enjoying their life or furthering their career. Someone scared of air travel, for example, may miss out on visiting friends in faraway cities or being promoted to a higher-paying job that involves travel. A healthier way to cope involves facing the fear, what psychotherapists call approach or exposure therapy. Exposure therapy for someone scared of heights may involve riding in a glass elevator with a psychotherapist. During the ride, the psychotherapist would talk to the patient and provide breathing exercises to help them cope with their anxiety. Exposure therapy combined with other psychotherapy techniques has been proven to be an effective long-term treatment for those with anxiety disorders. So talking about those fears that I overcame, one, moving to New York City helped me fear the outside world a whole lot less. I had to commute by myself. I had to make a life in a new place. I had to understand my surroundings better. I had to kind of be more street smart, know how to use the subway, be around a lot of different people. I had to meet new friends and slowly the world became a lot less scary when I just put myself out there. And in a lot of ways, it became a lot more scary. I was exposed to a lot of things that I wasn't exposed to in Texas. But I do think there was a certain point where that was good for me. When I talked about public speaking, I took a class in my college. I actually have a podcast episode with this professor. I think he's great. His name is Brian Bremberg. 
and he taught a class on public speaking, specifically kind of in the business realm. And we had to give speeches in front of the class. We didn't so much debate. It was more just on professional speaking. He helped you with job interviews, resumes, that kind of thing. And I loved that class. For one, I think he was such a good professor and really just taught in a healthy way. And I really learned how much public speaking is a fear we have because we're so fearful of being judged by other people. Learn how much people are totally thinking about themselves more than they're thinking about you. Learn how important practice and preparation is. And when you actually exercise that muscle, you get a lot better at it. I learned how to be more comfortable with pausing and silence. I think a lot of people say I talk really slow. But I think a lot of times when it comes to public speaking, a lot of times you do speak really quickly because you are feeling like you need to fill the space with something because you can't just sit in silence. That class made me feel a lot more comfortable pausing. And I remember specifically I did a presentation. It was on a business leader that you looked up to. And I did mine on Sarah Blakely who started Spanx. And I remember feeling so confident in that speech. Fun fact, Aiden was actually in this class too. And he hates public speaking. (laughs) So he hated being in that class with me because he's like, I'm going to be so embarrassed in front of you. But it actually made me a lot more comfortable because we were dating at that point. But I did this speech on Sarah Blakely and I felt so confident and it was the first time when I was in front of a crowd where I felt like it was so natural. I felt happy. He really talks a lot about smiling when you speak and how you really do feel a lot happier when you actually smile in your speech instead of just looking so stern and nervous. And that class really helped me because I had to physically give speeches about once a month all the time. Another thing I think when it comes to fear is just getting out of your mind. And I think such a good way to do that is exercise. I talked about this in the beginning of the podcast, but um, I found this article from CNN and it says, when you exercise, your brain increases production of these neurotransmitters, which send messages throughout your nervous system. In the case of exercise, those messages might be something along the lines of, you're running, that's awesome, cheer up. Studies have linked low levels of serotonin and some other word I can't pronounce to depression, which is a much more solid link to feelings of post-workout euphoria than the evidence for endorphins. And it's not just that exercise leads to an increase in serotonin, which may in turn reduce depression and stress. Exercise may actually help ward off depression and anxiety by enhancing the body's ability to respond to stressors. What appears to be happening is that exercise affords the body an opportunity to practice responding to stress, streamlining the communication between the systems involved in the stress response. The less active we become, the more challenged we are in dealing with stress. And I totally agree with this. I don't think that if you actually have an anxiety disorder that it can be solved by exercising. But I do think exercise helps so much. I process things a lot better when I have a morning workout. And that's a big reason why I switched from working out at night to working out in the morning. One, because I think it was keeping me up. But two, because my mind was so clear after that workout. And it's why I recommend, even if you're not someone who's really active, going for a walk, going outside, it really does help. And I know it sounds stupid. I know you hear it all the time. But it really does clear your mind, especially if you're just listening to music or a podcast, trying to kind of clear your head in the morning. It can really help you process things throughout the day a lot better. 
I wanted to read this submission. I got a few submissions, but I'm already at the 40 minute mark for this. So I'm probably only going to get to a few, but this one is on the fear of death. And someone says, something that brings me a lot of fear and anxiety is death. I'm a Christian. I was raised Christian and I believe in an eternity with God after death, but I still can't shake the more selfish part of me that wants my human life to continue, if that makes sense. In the past year, I've been thinking about it more and more. I've had a grandparent and a great grandparent pass away. I wasn't entirely close to them, but I still felt the pain. I've yet to have anyone really close to me pass, though. What sometimes trumps that fear, though, can be my own selfish thoughts about death. I am extremely into art and music and nature, and it is hard for me to imagine the world continuing after I'm gone. There will be music that I never hear and sunsets I'll never experience, art I'll never ponder. It is definitely something that feels negative once I say it out loud to focus on everything that I miss instead of looking forward to the time as a spiritual being with Jesus. I want to know if you've ever experienced this or have anything to say on the subject. Maybe someone else you know has experienced this or you have some reading that would help this anxious thinking. I think that this is really normal. I think if you're a Christian, if you're not fearing death, and especially when you genuinely love the life you're living, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that we are given a lot of things in life as gifts from God. And when I read Ecclesiastes, it really kind of helped me process through these feelings because I think there's one side where a lot of what we do on earth doesn't seem important when you're just thinking about heaven and I learned a lot about this in college in my theology classes a lot about how stewarding the earth well and what we do on the earth and treating it well is actually really important and matters in the afterlife but that being said this is a verse John 2 15 through 17 and it says do not love the world nor the things in the world for all that is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the father but it's from the world the world is passing away and it also and also it's less but the one who does the will of god lives forever and i think i've just had to learn to focus on the things that god says about the world more than the things that the world says about the world i also don't think you should feel entirely guilty if this is something that you struggle with and something that you should feel ashamed of and i think it's something that you should bring to him and pray about to focus on because I struggle with this a lot and I think it's kind of a daily struggle to not love the world more than what God says about our faith. I really like this one but she says I'm a 22 year old girl from Ireland and my biggest fear is living life without actually living. I've never heard anyone else talking about this but I'm scared at the end of my life I'll look back with regret thinking I've wasted my life. I live a very simple life. I spend most of my time studying or working and my relaxing time is spent with my family. I don't like partying and I'm not very adventurous, but I feel like social media has perpetuated the idea that you always have to be doing something exciting like traveling constantly to be happy or fulfilled. Even the quote that says, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you do differently today affects me. If I knew it was my last day, I wouldn't be wasting it doing dishes or studying, but they need to be done and these everyday tasks make up the majority of my life. I'm content with my life, but my fear always stops me from feeling completely and overwhelmingly happy because I never feel like I'm doing it right. I love that your videos talk about joys of simplicity because it's refreshing on the internet, which loves to promote scandal and living a flashy life. This was another one that I got quite a few submissions on in Instagram about just like fearing not living your life to the fullest. And I don't really like that saying because why is it that living your life in a way where you are spending time with your family, invested in your work, really taking care of your house, I don't get why that's not living life to the fullest. 
because it's just not practical to be traveling all the time. It's not practical to always be doing something. And a lot of times you're really investing in people when you're living like a very simple life where you are investing in your relationships. And I think that that is such a good thing. And I hate how it's just not really portrayed in that light online. I think a lot of that has to do with comparison. We just always compare our lives to other people's and I do this too. I always feel that I should be doing something. I mean, I'm 22. I'm like, I could be doing so much more at this age, but it's okay to be where you are at. And who's to say that you're not going to look back on your life and be so thankful? When I look back on my life, yeah, the trips are fun. And I like the fact that I went to Kauai once and it's one of my favorite places, but I don't think about those things. And it's okay if you do, if that's like the thing that you love about your life that is fine but it's also okay if the moments you spent with your parents the moments you spent with your husband the moments you spent really investing in a hobby it's okay if those are the things that you look back on and remember and really cherish I was just looking at old photos the other day and I was sending them to my mom because it was Mother's Day. There were just so many funny moments that I have with my mom where we were like sleeping on a hide-a-bed bed together when we were visiting my grandparents in Ohio. There's this one part where my mom was just being really goofy with Roxy and it was in the middle of a tornado because in Texas, randomly tornadoes just appear out of nowhere. It's crazy the weather here. And it was just nice, those simple moments. I was thinking about how those are the moments that I really remember and I really like to look back upon it's not always going somewhere new. And so I think it's okay. But I do think if you want to be living a different life, that is also okay. If you do feel like there are areas of your life that you could really spend more time in to feel more fulfilled, that is also healthy. But I think if it's stemming from the fact that you're comparing yourself to other people, I think that is when you should try to shift your mindset. I try to keep these under 50 minutes because I know when I listen to podcasts, I usually like them to be around 40 to 50 minutes. And so I hope you guys enjoyed. I felt like there was so much more I could share with this episode. This is one of the first times when I, not one of the first times, but I just felt like there was a lot more information I could talk about. But I hope this helped you. I hope it helped you think about fear in a different way or a way to approach it. Or even if you're now realizing maybe I should actually seek help if I focus on my fears too much. I think that's also a healthy response. I hope you guys just have a great week. If you enjoyed listening, feel free to let me know. I love seeing the Instagram tags that you guys tag me in your stories. That's one of my favorite things if you want to share that you're listening or write a review if you guys appreciated it. Subscribe if you want to get notifications for every Monday. I'm so thankful for you guys. I love my podcast. I love my podcast fam. You guys mean a lot to me. So I just hope you guys enjoy your week and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye friends. Mm-hmm.